Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast. Brian Winhurst and the Hoop Collective is a podcast where Brian Winhurst and a team of ESPN insiders sort out life in and around the NBA world. Now three times a week and also available on YouTube. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, talk about that Jerry Jones story y'all spent y'all's holidays being mad about. Also, your stories about cross-cultural Thanksgiving exchanges. But first... All right, so, like, when I was figuring out what to do for the show, we figured this out on Sunday, text Dan, let him know what's going on. My decision was very much so informed by the fact that the Thanksgiving Sunday slate is typically one of the worst in the NFL, right? Because they're taking three games out, they're putting them on Thursday. Like, luckily, we get the Lions out of there ordinarily, but they took the Bills out. We had the Cowboys and the, uh, the who you call it, the, uh, the Giants. Yeah, they're supposed to be kind of good this year or something. Right? Night game, we had some decent teams. Man, we was out here with some slaw on Sunday. But, like, things that are somewhat interesting happened. Uh, Aaron Rodgers got hurt, and that's a thing because Jordan Love actually looked like an NFL quarterback. And if they keep playing and he looks like one, ooh boy, he gets fun up there. Josh Jacobs had like 300 total yards. Uh, we had a lot of things that went on in the course of it. Uh, that tweet that I sent in 2014 about how Greg Roman's offenses always have delays a game and uh, burn timeouts. Anytime the Ravens mess up and lose, that thing pops up. Every time somebody act like I don't know nothing about no damn football, I want to be like right there. I got in the weeds on it for y'all, right? It, it, keep on going down the line. There's some other NFL stuff that happened that honestly. Oh, White Mike. Shout out to White Mike. White Mike went out there. Ball for the Jets. You know what I'm saying? Had somebody ask me why I'm mocking him by calling him White Mike. Hashtag two Americas, baby. You just don't really understand what it is. I ain't saying there's nothing wrong with being white. You saying there's wrong with something, something wrong with him being white? Some dude hit me back talking about Black Russell. It don't go the same, man. It ain't quite the same. Yeah, Parker over there with a look on his face. Like, he can't figure out what in the world that was going on. Yeah, man, people be a little testy. But anyway, I had already decided where I wanted to go with this here podcast. And we always want to give you some measure of NFL because quite honestly, I know where I work. I ain't showing up at Mickey D's and being like, we out of burger patties. That's not, that's not really how this goes. In fact, they might call me if I came out here and did a podcast that ain't had no NFL on it. That would be utterly preposterous. So I tried to give you the NFL as I could. But, you know, I think it can be easy. And I don't blame you if you draw the conclusion that I'm about to discuss to like listen to me and wonder sometimes, is he like really a sports fan, right? Because I'm, I'm a bit of a thinker, you know what I mean? I like to get in here and get into the stuff or whatever. But like I'll take you behind the curtain a little bit. One thing uh, when we're doing Game Theory for HBO, a uh, season premiere January 20th, 2023, that is a Friday right after Bill Maher. Um, one thing we always have to be cognizant of is to remember what the things are about sports that you enjoy. Because like once you start getting into the business of it and everything else, there ain't really nothing there to make you feel good about it, right? Like I try to laugh when I get into those places because I do want you to know that fundamentally, like I still love this stuff. Like when you get into a situation when you're dealing with sports and you deal with people who don't like love this, man, it's a drag. Because the only reason to do this is because it's fun. Like it's not really terribly essential. You know what I mean? It can be an intellectual pursuit if you so choose. But if it ain't hustling backwards, getting into this to be an intellectual pursuit, come on now. You know, like you got to have the things that you enjoy about it. And for everything that is problematic about college sports, right? And the real thing that's ultimately problematic is the fact that the dudes don't get paid. (laughs) that's, That's really what it gets to is the fact that the dudes don't get paid. There is an obvious measure of hypocrisy that comes in in college sports. There's also, like, obviously a level of pretending that we do. Hey, don't look at that in order to maintain the fun. Compartmentalization, I guess that's the way that we put it. But you do it in the rest of your life, too. It happens here. I enjoy no, like, span of days in college football better than when we go 
from rivalry weekend into the coaching carousel. It's really about like a five or six day period where it really gets concentrated. That is the best for me. Now, here's why it's the best for me. Rivalry weekend, I think it seems fairly obvious why that would be so excellent. But I do think that if you want to get into like the purity of things, right? It really don't get much purer than rivalry weekend because it's every petty reason that people are into this, right? It is the interpersonal interactions that make this whole thing so excellent and make this fun. Because I always say about college sports, college football in particular, it is best enjoyed regionally. Like putting all the emphasis on the playoff and who was in the playoff is totally missing the point. There are 130 FBS schools, right? There are legitimately less than 10% of them that have any consideration for what it is that we're talking about at the start of the year. Like, you know who it is that's to be thought of about the playoff. Everybody else still got games to play. Everybody else still have things that they're doing. And I lived in North Carolina for 10 years, and that's where I got my start doing, you know, sports radio. And it was so important that I did that because I was rooting for Texas at the time. And it was a national championship discussion all the time, even though they didn't even win the Big 12 very much. Still, it was a national championship discussion Every time what I learned in North Carolina is how to appreciate eight win football. I understand that this will sound patronizing to my people in North Carolina. However, not everybody's even playing eight win football, right? Most people are in this hoping for eight win football. Like that's what they like. That's what they enjoy. The team that they root for. You're hoping for eight win football. Dan, uh, did you go to Syracuse? Born and raised in Syracuse, Bo, and I was thinking, we're rooting for six-win football. Yeah. We got seven this year, and it's great. That's what I was about to say as I looked at you and remembered that area code on your phone. I was like, yeah, you know exactly what it is that I'm talking about, right? But that's what this is, and you have games that you care about more than others, and you get a weekend in college football where all of them are jammed together. And so Michigan-Ohio State, which did have national championship ramifications, but, bro, let me tell you something. I went up there to Ann Arbor, uh a couple about a month ago and it is very difficult to explain what a 24 7 thing this michigan ohio state situation is like my hotel the ohio state uh cross-country team was staying there man i was watching them get dirty looks bro and this is the weekend of the michigan state game they ain't really be mad at them like that that michigan ohio state thing is all the time and so i am 42 years old i came of age with that rivalry during the john cooper era some of you had not heard of John Cooper until I am sure he was trending over the weekend after Ohio State lost and people were comparing Ryan Day to John Cooper who went 2-10-1 against Michigan. 2-10-1. That was his record, right? Okay. That's what I knew of that rivalry. I had no idea what the hierarchy of that actually was supposed to be. Jim Tressel comes in there, and I want to say Ohio State won, what, 18 of the next 20? 18 out of 20. I never heard of, seen anything like that before. Like, that's that's like Tennessee Vanderbilt. And I don't think that Tennessee has beaten Vanderbilt 18 out of the last 20 times. Like, I mean, that's a wild number to put up against a team. So anyway, Michigan won the game last year. And then this year, this is one of those, right? Like, we had a handful of those where I was growing up where it's like, yo, this Michigan-Ohio State thing, it matters because it matters, not just because it matters to them. Michigan went up there and beat the brakes off those boys. And I'm watching after the game, and I'm watching the players, right? I'm watching them wave that flag and plant it and everything else. And I'm looking at, like, the legitimate happiness and excitement and the happiness and excitement of the people that are in the crowd. And, of course, angry-ass Ohio. They be angry when they win. Ain't no demographic of sports fans angrier than Northeast Ohio and surrounding areas. I kind of know why y'all so mad, because it's really cold. You know what I'm saying? But y'all just be mad. Like, like that's, that, that's what it is. And if your response to me saying that you be mad is to get mad, saying something to me ain't going to change my mind. All you're going to be doing is getting mad. That's all I'm saying. But, like, I, I mean, I'm watching that. And I'm, like, that's the energy of this that makes this stuff cool, man. Like, that's the energy of this that makes it fun. You flipping through, you see the same. When you go turn on, like, Oregon, Oregon State. 
right? I, I don't really care about that game. That's not a thing. But it was a game, and it was fun. The Egg Bowl down there in Mississippi. I can't think of any place in the world I want to be at personally less, but I imagine it's a lot of fun, right? They be in it, and they ain't never playing for nothing but hating each other. That's it. Like, like the, the stakes of the Egg Bowl. Man, please. That ain't never happening. That's not how it works. But that's what we here for. An Iron Bowl would have been helpful if Auburn was halfway decent, but <laughs> LOL, not so much. But the fact that Auburn is not decent leads us in to the next part of how this goes, which is the coaching carousel. Now, the thing about the coaching carousel is, and why I find it to be so interesting and enjoyable, I can't think of any other realm where decisions are made about people involving such high levels of income and those decisions are fundamentally made by people who have no idea what they're doing, okay? And I'm not talking about the athletic directors and all of that stuff. Because sometimes they get to make the decision, but they don't really get to make the decision. Who gets to make the decision? The people with the money. The boosters get to make that decision. And buddy, there ain't no telling what none of them might do. And you know why there's no telling what none of them might do? Because there's no telling what none of y'all might do under the same situation and under the same circumstances. And at the end of the day, y'all are the boosters. The boosters are y'all. The only difference between boosters and regular people is boosters have money. That's it. I say that to say, all that dumb shit y'all be tweeting to me, all that dumb shit that y'all call radio stations to talk about, all these half-cocked, cockamamie ideas that y'all have if you had hundreds of millions of dollars and then were able to give them to a football program you would become a problem you would actually be trying to put these dumb ideas onto the road somebody might be able to talk you out of a couple of them but that's what y'all would be doing right and so we get to this part of the season where the coaching jobs start going out and you start hearing and understanding who like really doesn't get things and all the irrationalities that people have. But the madness of the coaching carousel this year, I will sum it up with one job, which is Auburn. Okay. Now, Auburn fans got very upset with me because I said about a month ago after they fired Brian Harson that that is a bad job and that I would not take that job. Because the thing that you know and is almost guaranteed in you taking that job is that you will leave mired in shame and or scandal. It's pretty consistent with just about every coach they've had in my lifetime, okay? You're probably going to get fired from every job. It's probably going to be more embarrassing at Auburn than anywhere else. Would you like me to walk you through it? I think I will. Pat Dye, NCAA problems on the way out. Okay? They won a lot with him, but NCAA problems on the way out. Terry Bowden, I still don't know what exactly it was that happened with Terry Bowden going out, but the fact that nobody at all ever wanted to talk about it and Terry Bowden was literally never the same again, you get my point. Tommy Tuberville, who kind of walked with a measure of dignity at the end, sort of, but let us not forget that time that they jumped on the plane to try to hire his replacement while he still had the job. And that guy was Bobby Petrino, by the way, that they tried to bring in um, for him. Gene Chizik. I mean, there was kind of a scandal, but they survived it. Don't forget that part. But then two years later, they went 0-8 in conference, and that'll get you fired. Gus Malzahn. I would not say he left in shame or scandal, but it did seem there for a minute like his defensive coordinator tried to launch a mutiny to get him out and get himself the job. Brian Harson, they tried to fire him for cause at the end of that one season, plus the whole vaccine thing, which, by the way, is all on him. I'm not blaming that on Auburn. But Brian Harson will never be the same after taking that Auburn job, okay? 
That's how it goes with that job. That's why I would not take it. And that does not happen in every place. All right. But Auburn's in this trick bag where everybody wants to be as good as their rivals, right? Like that's really the metric and the measuring stick for most programs is you want to be as good as your rivals. The problem is their rival is Alabama, right? And then rival number two is Georgia, okay? You're asking for a lot here in this one. And it takes a lot for all three of those schools to be good at one time. Though it's probably easier now than it had been before. But anyway, they want to be as good as Alabama. I don't think they necessarily expect it, but... Yeah, I was around NC State for a while. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen how this works. I see how it goes. People tend to be fairly realistic about knowing you're not going to be as good as the other ones, but you do want to beat them from time to time. Anyway, Auburn always got to go at this and try to make some measure of splashy higher because the stakes are that high. The problem is they also always wind up having to shop for an open box special. You know, you guys know about the open box special. Dan, you ever bought you an open box special? Got to do that, man. Go to Best Buy. Ask about the open box. You get that TV 20% off. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. you know, Refrigerator, I think we got open box. That's what I'm saying. Get that right. open box special. Yeah. Something, something, something ain't quite right, and that's why you can get it. You know? And that's basically Auburn hires open box special coaches. I was just saying this when you really stop and think about it. When they hired Chiswick, Chiswick it was what, like 2 and, I want to say 2 and 14 in the Big 12 at Iowa State? But he had been the defensive coordinator there in 04 when they went undefeated. But nobody else with a program of that caliber would have hired that man, is what I'm saying. Okay? Uh, Malzahn got an interesting personality that's not everybody's cup of tea. And that's why even after the Cam Newton season, he had to go be the head coach at Arkansas State. Okay? Open box. Uh, Brian Harson. Bit of an open box when you stop and think about it. All the success he had as coordinator at Boise State, all the success he had at coach at Boise State, and he was there for a bit of an open box. Auburn State hiring open boxes. So apparently it came down to two open box guys for them, for this job. Lane Kiffin and Hugh Freeze. All right? Lane Kiffin, look, people like him. He's a good coach. But come on, man, you know what come with Lane. Lane Lane had to go from being Saban's offensive coordinator to coaching at Florida Atlantic because Lane is an open box special, all right? And Hugh Freeze, woo, 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 woo. That's an open box. Um, I, I don't, like, I almost, like, and for those of you who don't know, when Hugh Freeze was the head coach at Ole Miss, he got caught calling escort services on his phone issued to him by the state of Mississippi. And they ultimately then had to uh, let him go as one might have to be let go, violations of state law type stuff. Like Then we found out that when he was um, a coach at the high school outside of Memphis that he's a little weird with the young ladies there and they had some stories as such. And so, of course, Hugh Freeze wound up with the head coaching job um at liberty and i want to try to do this avoiding making any macro level statements about liberty university because god knows i could but i'm not going to do that right now i'm just simply going to make the point if you get a chance i can't remember the title of it but you can go on hulu and there is a documentary about jerry falwell jr the former president of liberty university and the pool boy and you should watch that. And when you watch that, you will fully understand how it is that that would be the place where Hugh Freeze would get that job, right? It's called God Forbid. God Forbid. There we go. Thank you, Dan. It's called God Forbid. And basically, Jerry Falwell Jr. hired himself. That's, that's, that's what he did, right? Them cats that's got a lot of Jesus in their life, but also got a lot of, you know, Life in their Jesus, I suppose, is how we would say it. You know what I'm saying? They can't quite figure out how to reconcile those two things and bring them together, right? So they give you all the Jesus and all the creepy at the same damn time. Like, they, Jerry Falwell hired himself. Like, if there was anybody that wasn't going to judge under those circumstances, it was going to be Jerry Falwell Jr. And that's how Hugh Freeze wound up with that job. Now, I had said that Auburn wasn't going to hire that man. Because I thought that that was a step too far because what he had gotten busted for offended a sense of morality that I think the people down there have 
that I thought I, I thought that would be too much. For all I know, they might hire Hugh Freeze by the time you hear this podcast, right? Like the word had been floated out there that that's the direction that they were looking to go in. I was assuming that that was a trial balloon to see if they could get away with it. Because the thing is, the boosters don't care. The boosters just want this money. The athletic director's got to be like, oh, guys, 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 guys. This is, I, I feel this is a horrific idea and that we shouldn't be getting in this. The boosters are like, look, we could scheme up some offense. We got a chance to do some winning. And Hugh Freeze is a good coach, right? And he beat Nick Saban two years in a row. That, that matters to those people. I thought they was going to hire Lane and think that Lane was just going to annoy Saban out of his job. You know what I'm saying? Just be there and be aggravating and just save and not want to do it no more. But they will see all of this, right? Do you realize how insane it is? The idea that anybody would want to hire Hugh Freeze after these things that had happened. And keep in mind that man got himself to the place he got to simply by being Michael Ower's head coach um, at that time and parlayed that into the old Miss job and then made his bounce arounds and got all this money. I, that man need he wants to get a big job. I know this. That man need to stay up there at one of them jobs where they cannot request his phone records. I don't got no idea what that man been doing since he got up there at Liberty. And that's probably the way he needs to keep it. Do you remember when that fool had the hospital bed rolled into the stadium so he could coach from the hospital bed? And so he gonna come down here at Auburn? Oh, buddy, 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 buddy. Stay, stay. They know your type up there. You know what I'm saying? Because let me tell you this. You come down to Auburn and it start going bad. What I just tell you about how it goes there. It ain't going to go a little bad. It's going to go all bad. That's why Lane was like, I ain't really going there. Lane parlayed that into a raise. It done the same thing to him one way or another. Because when it go bad, it go real bad. So you understand why I love college football so much? You get it? You get it? You see? You see? Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so I'm at my house on Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. I'm, I'm there. And I've been keeping up with this fantastic Washington Post uh, series on coaching in the NFL and race and hiring and all of this stuff. Um, they did a very good piece on the Giants. And I've been saying this a while for the Giants. Somehow the Giants skate on this. The Giants have had a black starting quarterback for one game and have never had a black uh, head coach ever. And by the way, that one game they had the black quarterback, they got so mad they fired the coach and let the beat down quarterback who just got benched keep his job for two years too long because it was so offensive that they benched him for that black man who was in Seattle this year balling. Anyway, um, but it's been a great series. And they did a... Fascinating piece on Jerry Jones. Fascinating piece on Jerry Jones. 
And it traces Jerry Jones back to his days in uh, Arkansas and how that informs him as the Jerry Jones that we know today. And it starts with a very what I found to be a very interesting story, which was that Jerry Jones attended North Little Rock High School in 1957 when North Little Rock High School um, was integrated. And it turns out that Jerry Jones was out there standing by the front door when those kids walked through. Now, I don't do the public Twitter timeline anymore. So it was hours after the story came out that I realized that somehow people had said that Jerry Jones was at the front door of Central High School in Little Rock in 1957, um, the home of a very, very, very significant uh, school integration, one where President Eisenhower had to send the National Guard to walt those kids in there, right? It wasn't that. This was North Little Rock High School. This was another school. It happened in the same month, but this was another school. Now, what is interesting about it, by the way, at North Little Rock High School is that the National Guard was not sent and they were not able to uphold that integration of that school. They got it done at Central. But the Washington Post put the picture up of Jerry at the schoolhouse door when the kids walked in. Little did I know that caused social media furor. People mad as hell with Jerry Jones and calling him all kinds of racist man for the fact that he was standing there at the door of that school on that day. Okay. I learned a couple of things in this. One, clearly people don't read because I know that story was really long, but it was very clear to me who did not read it based upon their reaction to that picture. Um, and number two, man, the outrage machine is almost undefeated at this point in time. All those pictures that I saw of Jerry Jones that were there was just Jerry Jones standing there. That was it. Now, that kid that was at the front of that one picture with the cigarette in his mouth, that boy looked like hell on wheels. I'd, I'd hate to find out uh, what he turned into and what he became. Otherwise, I saw Jerry Jones at the front of what the hubbub was at his school on that day. That's what I saw. Now, the argument that I think seems to be ultimately being made here is, I guess maybe you're making the assumption that the only reason to be there by the door when this happened is if you wish to harass those kids. And that's stupid. You're 15 years old. This is the thing that's going on. Everybody want to be at the thing that's going on, right? This is the thing that it was. He happened to be there. Like, I, I just don't take that much from that. Who knows? You may find out that Jerry was calling them names or anything else, but I don't have much indication from that picture that that was the thing um that happened like so for me personally that was not the oh man like basically what jerry jones was in that picture was a white teenager in arkansas in 1957 which by the way you could pretty safely assume would mean that person was a racist right but you knew that already you already knew that he was from arkansas in this time or whatever it is you see what i'm saying like if that if that's the assumption that you were going to make that's not a data point, right? That's just something that hit people understandably like in a sore spot because of what we know about the stories of those kids who would go into those places. But I didn't take that much from that picture, right? At least not in the ways that it seemed that other people took it. And people like Jerry's excuse that I was just there to watch, he's 15! And I got a rule. This is just me. I don't hold like 15-year-old stuff against people. Like, that's just, that's just not going to be my bag. I don't know if you saw the story recently about the kid, hockey player, um, who had been found to have racially abused somebody. I don't exactly know what that term means when he was a teenager. And it got drafted, I think, by the Bruins or whatever. But the Bruins then went back, found out that he had done this, and then they released him after drafting him. And Gary Bettman, the commissioner, came out and said, there is no place for this person in our league. And I disagree with that. Like, I, I didn't... The idea that you can't be redeemed from what you were as a teenager it just, just feels wildly problematic to me. Like, that's the thing that you use to justify sentencing 15-year-old kids to life in prison. You know what I mean? It's the same mentality. It's the same logic. I'm not going to do that. I got people who harass me that I can find the things that they said about me when they were teenagers. That can shut their whole situation down. I don't do it, even then, if it involves me. Because that's just my rule. So I'm not getting there with Jerry. What I thought was so interesting about the story and what I thought was lost because it was so obvious that people didn't actually read it is that if you want to make the argument 
that Jerry Jones just stood there and watched while this thing happened or while all this stuff was going on. I don't know what exactly the hell he would do when he was 15 years old. But I took that piece of information in the story the same way I thought that the writers are trying to frame it, which is it was a metaphor for the way that Jerry Jones and others of his ilk have handled matters involving race and hiring, which is there's this thing that's wrong that's going on and you can acknowledge it, but you just go watch it. Now, of course, in that case, the thing that was wrong was the segregation, right? Like they were integrating. There were probably people treating those kids real bad. And Jerry probably did just stand there and watch while people treated them really bad. But I always thought that the point of that story was just that, right? Like they make the point about Jerry that he knows it would be different if the Cowboys made some of these moves, if the Cowboys hired a black coach. Like he understands the significance of the Dallas Cowboys. But that isn't a thing that matters enough to him to actually do something, right? And there are men through the NFL who have had that concern, like the Bruce Arians, the Bill Walshes, the Kyle Shanahans, right, who have decided this is a thing that does in fact matter. And then they push and they go in that direction. Jerry Jones don't care. And the problem they have about hiring is something that's only going to fix get fixed if somebody cares. But the reason that somebody like Jerry isn't really going to care, I thought, was kind of outlined by that story. And they made the point about Jerry that I thought was very interesting, which was Jerry's daddy owned a grocery store in Little Rock, but it was a grocery store that black people were allowed to shop in. And I assure you, in Little Rock, you would think that you was the Dalai f***ing Lama if you was the white man that actually let black people walk in your store and shop. You understand what I'm saying? Like by, by the, sta- the standards relative to that place, I'm sure Jerry Jones think he about as liberal as anybody else in the world. You know what I mean? Because what Jerry Jones is, is the white man that can hang out with black people, right? He's the white man that'll go to the barbecue restaurant, like Frank Underwood and House of Cards type stuff. You know what I mean? He's the, black, he's the white man that'll come kick it with you. You know what I mean? He might not know the dances or nothing like that, but he ain't got no problem shaking your hand and knowing all your kids and everything else, and if you need something, he'd be nice to you, you know, all of those things. But there's some jobs that he just ain't going to give you. It's just not going to work that way. And one of the points that he made in the story about that was that he hires people he knows. Like he said, when he thought about hiring Dennis Green, he ultimately hired Bill Parcells, which is something you don't have to apologize for. But he was like, it's because I know him. And he's right. The reason this thing is broken with the NFL is people think that hiring is give me every candidate in the world and we will whittle it down to the very best one. Nah, man, people hire people they know. The problem with a dude like Jerry is Jerry don't really know black people like that. You see what I'm saying? He got to know Dennis Green in this competition committee or anything like this. But Jerry ain't going out of his way to find those people. So Jerry winds up doing the recycling thing. Right. He winds up doing the same thing because his first hire was his college teammate. His second hire was his college coach or one of his college assistant coaches. Right. Then he hired Dave Campo. I I think he was the linebackers coach there or something. But Parcells, you see how he would wind up getting to Parcells. Like all these people that he gets when you go down Parcells to Wade Phillips to Jason Garrett. It's all proximity. To a, you know, to a measure. And he don't know no black people in that space because men like Jerry Jones don't bring black people into those spaces. But they'll come, they come eat at your restaurant. And I'm not saying this to say Jerry Jones is some kind of bad dude. I'm also not saying it to say that he's some kind of good one, right? But the thing that I did respect about, come out of that story respecting about Jerry as much as anything else was, everybody on that, in that story was on the record. Like, it may not have been every single person, but just about every person that was quoted in that story was on the record. And one of them said, because we don't have any fear of retribution for saying what we think about Jerry. Right? Black people, whoever it is in his world who disagree with him about these things, can tell him. And he'll listen. And then go back on, be back on his same old though. You know what I mean? But, like, I do respect the fact that he's a dude that if you feel this way about him, you can talk about it to him. You can say it in front of the world. You can say whatever it is. And when the questions come down, he'll answer them. They walked up to that man with a picture of him at the door of a school being integrated. And he's like, sure, we can talk about it. Like, you realize how many people really in that situation would have run away from it. I do think there's a measure of respect 
that he gets there. But I also think that people in the outrage machine, just stop and take a minute and think about it, man. What did you think that you were seeing there? Right? Like, what did you really see in that picture? What you saw was a white man of that time. And if your thing is, basically, white men of that time are terrible racists, I mean, you can do that. But I don't think going that broadly is really that helpful. If you think just seeing him there in that picture said a lot, I personally just did not see it that way. Right? And maybe you did. And I don't want to invalidate your feelings or whatever it is. But I would say if all you saw was the picture... I would encourage you to read the story because once you read the story, it doesn't invalidate anything you felt about the picture necessarily or anything, but I think it gives you more context and I think the picture winds up looking a little bit different. But I do feel like we can't just get so hot immediately because getting hot about stuff is what bounces around on the internet. It it goes around better than anything else. It, It brings people together sadly more than anything else. I just didn't think that that was the thing that would bring out the anger. I'm much more bothered by what a collection of Jerry's in this world has done and how that affects the higher end of black and brown people in that industry. That picture, that picture literally had no effect on anything, right? What that picture reflects does but not in the way that I think that most people saw the reflection. For me, it was not a reflection of something visceral. It was a reflection of that whole systemic thing that ain't never anybody's fault, right? Because I can say about Jerry, yeah, I don't think Jerry's a bad guy. That don't mean you're not doing a bad thing. It's not just about whether or not you're doing it on purpose. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, Bomani, another week and another Elon Musk story, but this one is a little bit different. Hi, my name is Julia Black, and I'm a senior correspondent at Insider. I recently published a story on a quiet but growing movement in the tech world called pronatalism. Basically, pronatalism is an argument for increasing the birth rate in order to counteract population decline. But some people in Silicon Valley are taking things a step further. In July, I published a story that revealed that Elon Musk had secretly had twins with his employee Siobhan Zillis. At the same time, I was talking to various sources in Musk's orbit who suggested that this was part of a wider project to save the world. Save the world from what? Well, Musk has been very outspoken about what he calls population collapse. It's true that birth rates are declining. 183 of the world's countries are forecast to drop below the replacement rate by 2100. At the same time, there's a group of people called long-termists who argue that it's less important to focus on the problems of today and more important to worry about existential threats generations down the line, from artificial intelligence to asteroid strikes, stuff they think could wipe out the human race. They worry that humanity is dumbing itself down because less intelligent individuals are reproducing at faster rates than higher IQ individuals. And because a lot of these billionaires believe their wealth is a direct reflection of their genetic superiority, some of them also believe it's their job to reproduce as much as possible. So my story is about some of these people who are strategically procreating, using new technologies and fertility and genetic testing in order to have what they believe will be super intelligent children who can lead the human race. Obviously, this all raises a lot of questions, whether this resembles the kind of eugenics that has been used to justify slavery, racism, and genocide throughout history, what this all means for women's role in society, and how this might exacerbate global inequality. It's a topic I will be keeping a close eye on over at Insider. Okay, so like anything that involves breeding is a little tricky and awkward, right? (laughs) Right? We all agree upon that. But I have to say, for example... My mother and father have three children together. My mother and father 
are very intelligent individuals with PhDs and their children, I think the three of us came up, you know, fairly smart. <clears throat> you know, my brother's been a successful uh, executive for many, many years. My sister is a world-renowned author. I am whatever you want to say about me, right? Like, do you think that is a coincidence? Probably not, right? However, Elon Musk got what, Dan? Like 12 kids? I can't even keep track, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's 12. And let me tell you something. I know a lot of people who have like, I don't know a lot, but you know what I mean, but people in that double-digit range of kids, right? My dad is one of 10, for example. You see that. You ain't gonna have 12 geniuses, dog. No, 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 no matter who you are, no matter what it is, no, 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 you step on that package that many times, I'm here to tell you, it's gonna be some weak dope that comes out of there at some point. So yeah, you think, oh man, my genetics are going to power the world. Yeah, we gonna find out about some of that other stuff that been laying dormant after a while too. Like the last thing we need is an increased number of up children of so-called brilliant people and i said so-called brilliant people i'm not talking about the actual brilliant people i'm talking about so-called brilliant people i just can't imagine anybody looking up and being like what the world needs is a bunch more elon musk i just saw a picture of him with uh, uh from his nightstand with a pistol and a bunch of cans of caffeine-free diet coke i think that's what it was yeah 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 that's all I'm saying, man. If their plan is we going to, no, 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 no. If you're going to do this, I think you need to just try to be careful about it. I don't know. I feel like it works out a little better, but you keep the numbers low. But the closer you get to the large, large distribution, you're going to get the properties of a normal distribution. Which You realize how terrifying like rich ups are? You know what I'm saying? Like They got the access to do so many terrible things. Look around you. We done synced it. We done synced it. All right, Bo, this next one's from the World Cup. This is Pranchu Verma for the Washington Post. Millions are tuning in at home to watch the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. But with that attention comes a host of worries. Fans will probably complain about botched calls. Stadium officials hope to minimize crowds. There are worries of overheating, and government officials will have the pressure to ensure public safety is guaranteed. Technology cannot solve it all, but will be part of the answer for this year's tournament. And here's a look at the innovations being used by tournament officials. There's the official match ball, made by Adidas, which will have motion sensors inside to report the precise location of the ball 500 times per second, helping referees make more precise calls. Then there's video assistant referees, which are a bank of cameras that are connected to a set of algorithms and data points to allow on-field referees make accurate calls in the game. And then there's the stadium cooling system itself, created by the Qatari professor that many call Dr. Cool, which essentially creates a cool bubble inside the stadium where sensors are used to regulate temperatures to 64 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit. And more controversially, there are the command and control centers in Qatar, which will rely on more than 15,000 cameras to track people's movements throughout the games, bringing concerns of privacy. But then there's also the Alan Turing Institute in Britain, which is using artificial intelligence to predict which team is most likely to win the World Cup. They're using an algorithm that basically tracks the results of every international match since 1872, and their predictions... Brazil will win the tournament roughly 25% in their simulations. Belgium came out on top roughly 18% of the time. And coming in third, Argentina won the tournament in their models a little under 15% of the time. Yeah, man. Everything about this World Cup just is a little weird. A little weird. Some of that stuff seemed like good ideas, though. Some of it, you know, seemed helpful. I just think if you got to create a bubble to keep it cool, we're not supposed to have it there. We just not. You know, this whole thing is just basically a visit Qatar, like, commercial, basically. That's the whole purpose of this thing. Them shots of the downtown, they look cracking back there. I'm going to tell you right now, they throw you in prison over there for smoking weed, and that's a real good sign to me that you don't need to go visit no place, man. Any of them places, I'm not talking about, like, you might go to jail. I'm not talking about, like, it's illegal. I get that. I'm like, well, you're going to be in there busting rocks because they got it. 
If you ain't got no pyramids, I ain't trying to go to your place if that's how y'all live. And I'm sorry. I just it tells me you're focused on the wrong things. All right, but we had one more story, but a little technical difficulty with the audio. So I'm just going to give you a one sentence summation. Retiring baby boomers are getting wiped out by inflation. Hey, man, uh, I hadn't quite thought about this, but something that needs to be kept in mind here is we got a lot of old people. Like, a lot of old people. Like, to the point where it's going to cause a big problem for a lot of our systems not too long. A friend of mine was telling me about this. Like, with the health system, it's called the silver tsunami. That we're about to have more old people than our health system can withstand, given our current attitudes about how to handle aging. Like, it's a lot of things that come along with that. But, you know, these be all them jokes about, you know, old people and how cheap they can be because they're on fixed income. They're on fixed income. They're on fixed income, right? These prices going like that, I think that's something that we really hadn't considered is that money that they was trying to spend ain't really stretching like they were hoping, like they were expecting for it to. And I'm just letting all you guys know this because it may explain some of your parental behaviors when you see them. And so you know when they ask you for money, yo, man, the game just flipped up. Like this is, this is the thing. And I think that it's another that we can add to the list of things of this pandemic that have just been incredibly cruel to the elderly that we can easily forget about. But I think when we really stack up, this pandemic has been really bad to kids and really bad to the elderly. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. All right, Bo, it's voicemail time. This week's topic, same as last week. We didn't get to the voicemails last week because they had our goodbye to Gabe, but topic was the same, cross-cultural Thanksgivings. Here's the first one from Aaron in Atlanta. First time I experienced Thanksgiving with uh, within the confines of a different culture, it was with my girlfriend, later became my wife. Uh, she's from New Orleans, and I am not from New Orleans. I hadn't really spent a lot of time there from Georgia. And so we go down to meet her family in New Orleans. Everything's moving along just fine. All the introductions are great and everything. The first thing I noticed uh, is that her accent changed. So she didn't have like a thick, heavy New Orleans accent. But we got to New Orleans in Bay Bay. That accent came out. Like I didn't understand what nothing she was saying. I didn't understand the phrases that they were using. I don't know what a neutral ground is. Uh, yeah, none of the things made any sense to me all of a sudden. And so everything was fine. It was a great time. Food was immaculate. The comedy was always around food and like what things were called. So her, uh, her auntie asked me if I wanted a bald egg. I'd never heard of a bald egg before. Um, <laughs> uh, come to find out she was saying boiled. Um, that was the humor in it. I got it. I was, you know, I was expecting cultural to be a little bigger than just New Orleans, but you know what? Nope. That New Orleans cultural barrier. That's a, that's a big one. Glad you didn't get shot because there's other levels in New Orleans culture that you can get to that you don't want no problems with. Trust me. All right, this next one's a little more cultural. I'm a white dude that grew up in rural Ohio, right? Uh, my family's Thanksgivings were a lot of aunts, uncles, cousins, like classic Midwest foods, like Oreo pudding or pink jug. You'd have to look that one up. Uh, mayo on a lot of stuff that just really shouldn't have mayo. Well, I moved west to like 21, right? And I was in a relationship with a girl that was of Jamaican descent. Um, I'd been to a few barbecues and mixed races before, so, like, I thought I'd, like, had a good grip on what was coming. Uh, no. No, not not at all. Uh, there was fish there that, to this day, I don't know what it was or how it was prepared, but it was amazing. Of course, they had, like, jerk chicken, they had oxtail stew, and probably about ten other items that, to this day, again, don't know what they were, how they were made, none of it. And I tried all of them. But... Of course, they had, like, you know, classic mac and cheese, cornbread. Like, the thing, though, that got me, there was a turkey there that was prepared with a mix of spices on it that loosened up parts of my sinuses that have never been opened in my life like that. Like, I just felt like I was in a Ricola commercial. <laughs> but that one right there, it changed every bit of Thanksgiving for me, what I thought it was. It changed how I cook to this day. Now tell me about the time that you brought her up there. Your mama tried to make her eat that mayo. That's the story that I want to hear about. All right, we got one more. Go ahead. All right, this last one is a little more in that direction. Here we go. 
Hey, Bo. I'm driving to Atlanta right now with my husband for Thanksgiving, so I figured this is the best time to call to talk about my first white Thanksgiving. So I'm Persian and Puerto Rican, and for the first 10 years of my life, we did this 100% Persian. I mean, we made like two or three different kinds of Persian rice. Sometimes we baked a dried turkey. We made kebab. We ate on the floor. It was a good time. Eventually, we started marrying white people, and I learned about deep fryers and corn casserole. I figured I knew what Thanksgiving was about, okay? So a few years later, I go to Thanksgiving with my then-boyfriend, now-husband, for the first time. And I really thought I knew what Thanksgiving was about, but I had never been to a rich white Thanksgiving before. Bo, do you know what a butler's pantry is? Because I certainly did not. (laughs) But the worst part was when they brought out not one, but two kinds of stuffing because a mom and a grandma had different recipes, and it was a whole thing. And they put it on my plate, and I honestly thought it was like a prank the brown person moment, <laughs> because it's, it's soggy bread with, like, sometimes chunks of meat. Like, what, uh, to this day, what is stuffing? Please tell me, Bo. I don't understand. Norman Rockwell couldn't explain it. First of all, I wish you could see Parker after she said Persian and Puerto Rican and he spent like 30 seconds trying to imagine what that looked like. <laughs> he just sat there like, huh, huh, huh. Um, yes, this, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is exactly where we were going with this sort of thing. This is how we learn about each other, man. It is the cultural exchange. But stuffing and dressing is very good. They just... It don't sound like they knew what they was doing up there, uh, unfortunately. I'm surprised, though, that the rich people made it themselves. Like, like the only way that you got those two in the dueling recipes, or are they like, here's my, here's my recipe, Imelda. Why don't, you put, why don't you make it yourself? Like, now I'm totally confused because she was like, Rich, I was like, oh, I figured it's catered or whatever, but now we talk about recipe war. I don't even. Hey, man. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this thing three times a week. Dan Stancic and Parker Owens handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Also, thank you to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Julia Black of Business Insider. Check out her story on billionaires trying to take control of evolution. Thanks to Pranshu Verma of The Washington Post. Check out his story about how artificial intelligence, augmented intelligence, one of them is uh, fueling the World Cup. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars, I'm inclined to believe. You are a hater. We'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.